This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, here we are once again back at the DLR Cast, the only podcast by and for fans of David Lee Roth by two guys who are fans but not fan boys of the Diamond One. I'm Steve along with, as always, my very good friend and almost a close personal friend of folks that have played with David Lee Roth, my good friend Darren Paltrowitz. What's happening, Darren? Had a yeah, little brain is, cramp there. This is the episode where I disclosed that I was fired from the Dave Tour rehearsals in Vegas, that I was well, the third guitar player. That's where I was going with this, man, because <laughs> we'll get into this in a second. We've got yet another interview with someone who pl- has played with Dave. So, but before that, we are right now. We're in mid-November. Uh, by the time folks get this, probably right on the heels of, or I'm sorry, right ahead of Thanksgiving, I think. And so yeah. we're about we're about six weeks away from your five-day excursion of what's shaping up, as we've alluded to in previous episodes, a weird residency. Because why would you not call it quits on your career on the biggest <laughs> night of the, new, uh, the year, New Year's Eve? As we've talked about before, Dave can't share the stage with the turn of the year. So let's just go yeah. into New Year's a little bit. Uh, you know, we've joked about this before, but it's just he let off with this a few weeks back with the retirement announcement. And then of course it's silent, save yeah. for a few pieces of art, no new music that could show up tomorrow for all we know. Yes. <laughs> the guy now here's a teaser. The guy, the guy you talked to for this week's episode has played with Dave that, uh, and has been involved with new music, new old music, I should say. Well, well I, no spoiler alerts at the moment, but what I'm getting at is that it's as usual, Quiet with Dave on the semi almost close to Vegas Western Front. Yeah, and I think we've had a number of episodes that we've taped of this show where you and I are like, it's quiet. There's nothing happening. And yes. then the next day. <laughs> <laughs> only only for the, about the, let's see, 36 to 48 hours in between recording and posting this. Ah, oh, shit, he dropped a new song. So that's yeah, the thing. Uh, you just don't know, which I do love. But yeah. the former record business guy in me, the marketing guy, the commerce guy in me goes, I don't know, man. I mean, the fan number one in me goes, shit, I would love to see him do more stuff, uh, yeah. do anything ahead of the shows, which I was, I believe are sold out. So maybe he doesn't need yeah. to. But it's just we could go hearing nothing until the curtain drops on the first night. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to add beyond that. You know, everything is just rumors and speculations. I'm hearing a few different conflicting things. I heard from somebody off the record that there is health stuff. I've heard the other banter of, oh, come on. He is coming back with a spoken word tour in a book. I've heard... (laughs) Oh, come on. He's going to change his mind in a year. He's going to go, well, that's how I was feeling at this time. And those co- those three career paths couldn't be more divergent. One is saying it is the end. The other is saying it's the end of this, but more to come. And the other is going, oh, come on. There's more to come. What are you thinking right here? And those three things have come from different people who have the old time well, I know somebody that's worked with Dave and <laughs> and when you really think about it, if you spoke to Noel Monk, Pete Angelus, Eddie Anderson, Matt Sencio, you'd probably get four totally different answers than you would from Jerry Leonard. 
Right. And all those guys worked with Dave upwards of 20 plus years ago, too. Right. So a lot of them. Yeah. Jerry Leonard is still in the picture. But something that I'm not sure about is that his accountant, his accountant and taskmaster. I, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows what's going on. I was we've joked on a number of episodes of like what's happening with ink. Was it called ink? The original. Yes, the tat the tattoo skincare cream that had a huge splash for about three weeks and then no one ever heard of it again, including what was it? There was, I mean, there was a, bit, a lot of big press around it. Yeah, that was everything. And the PI in me that looks through databases saw that the trademarks related to Ink the Original expired. I don't know if all of them expired or all but one expired. And Dave has been. I don't know if we've talked about this on the mic. Dave has been filing a lot of trademarks in the last five years, a lot Inter- of trademarks. Interesting. Most of them lapse. Do you know what I'm talking about with lapsing trademarks? Like, is yeah. this too inside baseball here? No, give it to, I have an idea, but for those who don't tell us. Basically you say, I'm going to trademark blank. And in the U.S. here, which is different from Europe and other countries, it's not just like you own that word. It's you're trademarking it, an image or a word or whatever for a category. So he's been trademarking blank for shirts, blank for merchandising, blank, blank for electronic performances, blank for entertainment. And then you have a certain amount of time. I don't know the exact amount of time here in the states but a certain amount of time to prove that you're using it that way to pres- uh, yes trademark and most so you can't just squat on it in other words yeah i mean yeah yeah you kind of can squat on them for a little like bit set up a, a cafe a cafe press store like you put you put up one t-shirt design and then you're like see yeah. we're selling it but he's letting most of these things go <laughs> so it's like are these 2 a.m you know what's a good idea? Trademark it. <laughs> Get somebody on the phone now. That phone yeah, rings at 2.30 in the morning, which is, you know, early afternoon for Dave. Yeah, and some of these are being trademarked under the name David Lee Roth, and some of them are being trademarked under his shell companies, which may be named after obscure things that we've talked about. And so... Hmm, I was going to say, what was that? <laughs> W-A-W-A-Z-A-T? There is a what was that trademark? I, of course there is. <laughs> Me talking about this kind of stuff is the restraining order kind of stuff. But, you know, it's public record stuff. If you're a professional wrestling fan, you always look to see, well, what's WWE trademarking? And you see a thing and you go, oh, there's a new wrestler named that. Or, oh, there's a new pay-per-view or a new merchandise thing. Yet somehow it's stalker-esque to do that about your favorite bands or actors or comics, per se. But <laughs> bottom line, uh, no pun intended to the Skyscraper album right there. You see what I did there? <laughs> yes. I- <laughs> is if you're following the paper trail of legalities, even that you can't follow. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, this is as good of a segue as any of which we are so good at tra- at fumbling over uh, transitions here. But sure. put it all aside, I would just wish for one thing, and that is some relatively new music. And that leads to the person you spoke to yeah, <laughs> th- th- this, this week's was, episode. 
this was my, I think it was the third time I've spoken with John Five. And the last time was like two or three years ago. And I slipped a David Lee Roth question in there or two. But this predates the DLR cast before I invasively became how can I ask about Van Halen every question, every interview possible? Uh, so this one, you know, John has a new album called Sinner, which is great. It's amazing. Side it, note, I love his guitar playing. That guy can do anything from chicken picking to writing songs with yeah. Steve Perry, Leonard Skinner, of course, David Lee Roth. I mean, his credits are insane. The guy is a chameleon. I've, I've loved him since the day he was in the day I first heard him in Marilyn Manson blew me away with Dave. I, I, I fell in love with the solo stuff many years ago in another in another gig. I did an in-store with him. Nicest guy in the world. Yeah, uh, just I, I absolutely love the guys playing every every. He's just an incredible talent. He's one of those guys where you go. The image is cool. The playing is cool. He's super nice. Everyone likes working with him. What's the catch? You know, you're kind of waiting for the shoe to drop. <laughs> there is no shoe. Yeah, there is no shoe. And every artist we like likes him. Uh, everyone yeah. wants to work with him. So you kind of go like, uh, is he an only child? And that's why he's nice. <laughs> I don't know. But for whatever it is, he's he's. The, I think at some point where you have when you have that much talent and yeah. you're not a complete Oh man, for lack of a better term, let's put it this way. There's plenty of guitarists out there that are humongous talents from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, yeah. but no one wanted to work with. That's not the case with somebody like John Five or say even a, a, a Steve I, right? Or yeah. let's say a Billy Sheehan. I mean, where the talent is so prodigious, but they have the time of day for you. They're not jackasses in the studio. They'll work their ass off for you, no matter what you have them do. They'll bring something to the table. And they're not raving crazy egomaniacs. <laughs> and um, yeah. you know what I mean? So Yeah. So, so with John, I was, you know, nervous in the back of my head going, you know, I, I'm going to talk about the new album, but I would be an idiot if I didn't work in some Dave questions, considering, you know, where we are and all that. Of course. And of course. His second Van Halen reference in questions related to his new album, I went, okay, th here's a break into this. So I'm going to work on this. And w I got him to talk about the DLR band album, and I got him to talk a bit about the unreleased album. And he has nothing bad to say about David Lee Roth. Uh, that has not been the case in all of our recent interviews. But he's, if you read the vibes, he still wants to work with Dave, and he's still on great terms with Dave. Absolutely. And why should that be a surprise? I mean, for the ones who have worked the closest with Dave, I for a lot, I mean, they're they love the guy's creativity and his work ethic. And I think for almost any musician, those are the two things that you really want to be full front, right? And Dave certainly's got both of those. And I mean, from what we've from what we've heard, the limited amount of work they've done together, it they work great together. It's amazing. And he has been great, at least from the interviews and stuff that I've heard prior to this, where he has raved about Dave singing on this work. And I love what we've, I've loved what we've heard so far. And it sounds like it's all kind of in that same sort of more mellow vein, but man, I would love to hear just a complete uh, shred tastic <laughs> harken back to the DLR band, but with a better mix and production sort of a, uh, uh, you know, musical attitude from those two, but I'll take anything I can get. Yeah. I, since we did our episode where we were talking about our favorite deep cuts, 
I realized I was kind of sleeping on the DLR band album. I'd heard it. I hadn't heard it enough. I probably listened to it 50, 60 times since that episode. And it's becoming one of my favorite things that Dave ever did. But it also occurred to me as I was listening to it closely, there's three different guitarists slash songwriters on that album. So had I thought about this during the interview, I would have asked John Five if he knew if some of the songs on the DLR band album were leftovers from your filthy little mouth. And I say that because the guitar tone is totally, totally different on the songs that have uh, Terry Kilgore and Mike, what's his name? Mike, uh, the other guitar player, Mike Hartman, who passed away, I think a couple of years ago. If I remember correctly, it's kind of like five songs are John five, three or four Terry Kil- uh, Terry Kilgore and like two or three are Mike. So it's kind of a split album. And once I tell you that, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that does sound like a poorly mixed or an inferior song to this. Wait, the John five songs all sound like an Eddie Van Halen disciple virtuoso guys playing a lot of notes and then the other ones are more riffy you know the john five songs are very timely contemporary songs compared to the other ones that have better choruses in my opinion so i'm wondering if the story behind this album is that it's a bunch of leftovers and i mean that in a good way of the dlr band i don't think so because i mean if you look right before that how far and i think a lot of this stuff especially the stuff that he wrote I mean, my fa- one of my all-time favorite that he co-wrote with Dave, one of my all-time favorite Dave tracks ever is the song Relentless. And it's credited uh-huh. to Roth, uh, it's, it's credited Dave, John Lowry, who, and he also plays guitar on it, as well as, uh, oh God, what's the guy's name? Marlette. Bob Marlette, who produced it, right? Who was one, uh, or one of the, or a, the producer. And I mean, I, you can really hear the John Five influence I mean, at the same at the same time, some of the more maybe not so I mean, the hardest rocking tunes in my in my book from Slam Dunk to I mean, you know, he John's got most of the writing credits on this thing. Well, it might be. Oh, I haven't counted, but he's got, it, you know, it's all three, four, five, six. So he's got seven out of the 14. So he's got half of the writing credits on this album. And but you're right, though, because when I listen to st- something like uh, Black Sand, the last track on the record, which has got such a vibe, that to me sounds like it could have been an outtake, uh, a song written for your filthy little mouth. Right. Very laid back. Well, who's that credited to? Roth Kilgore. Right. Uh, lose the dress, keep the shoes. Kind yeah. of a bluesy sort of, uh, you know, vibey sort of tune. Roth, Terry Kilgore. So, I mean, slam dunk. David Lee Roth and John Five. So I'm wondering, I think the stuff with John Five was written leading up to the record. The mystery to me of that record is just how I would bet it was recorded very quickly on a very tight. I I know it was recorded very quickly, but on a pretty tight recording budget, I bet Dave's funding it. There's no out. There's no it's on. What was that records? Yeah. You know, and I think it was one of the places record was in like in Miami, I think it was or in Florida, which is just about the only place. I know the only time Dave's ever recorded down there that we know at least has been released. So it's an odd record at times as mm-hmm. far as as far as what we don't know about it. But also 
I shouldn't say odd. I, I love this record. I love the yes. I love the record. And and ever since then, I've been like, oh, man, I want to hear what else they can do. And if you listen to the Diamond Dave record, I think there's one or two songs that were clearly because they're not covers. One of them was called Thug Pop. I yes. think that's a John. And and that just doesn't really fit in with the rest of that Diamond Dave covers record of which we should have a separate episode all about that. I am fine with that one. And that one just came out on vinyl. So uh, really? Hey, yeah. yeah. I don't know why in 2020. Good Lord, why? The Diamond Dave album is coming out on, on vinyl. If I had a hunch, there was a reversion clause. I would <laughs> bet you're right. Back, it was like a 20 year license. That's the only thing I could think of right there. But um, yeah, the. The other reason why I think that maybe the Diamond Dave album was done in a few sessions is that there's multiple assistant engineers on the album. Usually, mm, you're right. A producer has the same engineer, unless it's a big album. If it's a U2 album, I'm sure there's a few engineers going on. But for a shoestring thing, it's like who's available today? There's one. There's one engineer. Uh, one guy title full engineer, three assistant engineers, and then another yeah. guy who does the mastering. But the guy who did the engineering is also also listed. Erwin uh, Musper is also listed as engineer, mastering, and mixing. So oh. it's it's kind of a collage of a whole bunch of different things. But co- it's as cohesive as a record as I think Dave had did had had did since. I mean, I think it was more. Co- it's, I think it's more cohesive as far as song after song. staying stylistically kind of even with the different songwriting credits much more than your filthy little mouth right i mean and a little ain't enough for sure (laughs) oh to a degree a little ain't enough i mean i might give you that i mean that was mostly a harder rock record you know with bob rock involved uh you know he tried to do he, he did you know his version of black velvet (laughs) that's a nice way of putting it but yeah that album's a little all over the place. It is. Whereas this is a rock album. And, you know, I got to cut you off and say, anytime you hear an Eddie Trunk kind of person say, well, Roth could never sing, blah, 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 blah. Look at track two on the DLR band album, Blacklight. That is him doing his Robert Plant higher register thing. And that happens a few times on the album. And this predates Pro Tools the way that people knew it. So there's so much effort that goes into the vocals on this record. And it's it sounds like a guy who's trying to sing. And the reason I bring that up is because every time John Five talks about this unreleased album, he says, man, was Dave singing better than ever. Yeah, yeah and that's what he said. He my, said. I've heard him say that a number of times in interviews. My obsessed, uh, obsessed MTV3 Finland concert in 99. <laughs> he's killing it live. Yeah. On- the 03 shows he's generally great that that carson daly performance where they do mean street he's killing it he's killing it i guess he might have been singing the best of his whole career in the lost years (laughs) well i'll tell you when he first came back with van halen 07 i saw that tour i thought he sounded great didn't hear any bum lyrics or bum notes he stuck with the songs. I thought he sounded great. It's interesting because the DLR band, everybody, I mean, Slam Dunk was a statement, right? It was the track yeah. that went to radio, the first track. That might be, the, in my mind, that's the song where I like his vocals the least on it. 
it, that uh, higher pitch, higher register in the chorus sort of thing. But if yeah. I then you go down to that song I keep talking about, Relentless, he is he is shredding. His voice is insane on that song. I mean, it's just you can hear the power that you hadn't heard in a while. So I mean, I I think you know, given given how he's lived a very exciting life in a lot of different ways. I mean, I think. I think like a boxer, he's got to get his voice into shape after a few years of not singing. And that was alluded to, I think, in his in his autobiography when uh, when they went in to do two tracks, Me Wise Magic and um, what was uh, the second? This Stuff No More. Right. And I think if I remember correctly, you know, he wanted to warm up and kind of do a few things. And he said, he, you know, he hadn't been singing in a while. And he alluded to the fact that he needed to get his voice back into shape. And I'm sure that's like that with most lead singers. And just like a boxer, you got to train and kind of get that muscle working again and get used to things. So I it's, I don't know. It's all interesting. There's so much we don't know, which reminds me, too, by the way, all of these albums just demand and it's not going to happen. It's far too late, like real deep deluxe editions, right, with some notes from the engineers and the producers, if not Dave himself and the players, you know, I mean, just for us complete nerds out there of which the, we we are a formidable and still decent sized bunch. If the numbers from this podcast and still selling out places like uh, the, the New Year shows, the the Vegas residency indicate. Yeah. But I mean, seriously, and we Lord knows Van Halen's always needed some sort of deluxe edition sort of thing going on there too. I mean, when you when you go when you know nowadays with YouTube, I you, and so much stuff on the internet, you could say, well, there's no need for this stuff, but it would be nice to have all in a complete package. I mean, sure, you yeah. can go to YouTube and listen to like the vocal only track from Running with the Devil and just be completely blown away and vice versa here and just Eddie's, you know, just the guitar tracks from it. But man, I would, this is why we talk about this shit, right? It's because we just don't know the full story, but we want to know the full stories. Yeah, there, there are unreleased tracks we can confirm there are unreleased tracks because just think about the no holds barbecue. When was any of that stuff released? Oh, you hear yeah. in the there And you know what? We could <laughs> we did not remember. So let's go back and correct it. Well, we won't go back and correct it. But we were talking about covers in the no holds barbecue, and yeah. we were talking about the ELO songs he did. He did, and we forgot the name of the other song. I'm pretty sure he does "Shine a Little Light." Yeah. Shine right, right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I rewatched some of it because I was trying to find a clip to to send to somebody. You know, <laughs> you type out what that thing is about. You're like, ah, uh, so there's little people, and he's being um, chased by little people, and these these Playboy playmate triplets, and that's after he starts doing karate kicks in the middle of a a closed off street, <laughs> and then in L.A. And then his band is playing and then he interrupts it. And then an animated version interrupts him with a voiceover. Um, and then his security guard is chasing him and they're in a sand cat. You know, yeah. Yeah. Go like bring in the machine guns and the Jeep yeah, and the sword. Go. Do we have the swords? You have to go. No, no, no. Seriously, I'm not hallucinating. Let me send you a YouTube clip to the spot I'm talking about. So I, I did that and I couldn't turn it off. No, it's a rabbit hole, my friend, that you will fall into every single time after about 45 seconds. Yeah. So um, what came up in the John five interview, one of the things about the DLR band album, not to give too much away, is he said that Dave was making the albums in his backyard, that he had one of those early CD pressing packaging kind of machines. 
<laughs> so how forward thinking he was and all that. So that if you have that album, it was made at Dave's house. So it's total DIY, the DIY work ethic. God damn it. Don't laugh at that. He was, a, he was, listen, that's artisanal music being made. My friend, that is handmade. Yeah. I, I don't think there's other superstar artists whose albums were made at their house. So this is just one of those interviews where you talk to the guy and then you go, Wow, everything that I thought I knew about Dave Lee Roth, I apparently don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything anymore. That's the thing. There's so much we don't know and probably never will know. I mean, yeah. it. I like to think that these shows are going to lead us to some new things we might see or hear or find out about. But the odds are good. Probably not. But that's why you're going to be our man on the street there for better part of two weeks. And you got, you you know, pull some guy who was who was running a lighting rig or something or a sound guy or something. I mean, just who knows? But I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, your reports from Vegas, my friend. I hope I can deliver something worthwhile. But now that I think about it, another thing with Terry, Terry Kilgore is he's such a footnote, unless you're a Dave completist per se. But didn't he work on? A little ain't, ain't enough as like the fill-in, and your filthy little mouth, and the TLR band album. Didn't he have a longer run than just about any guitar player besides Brian Young? As far as in studio work, yeah, I guess you can say that, right? And how many Terry Kilgore interviews have we ever seen? What do we know about the guy besides he played in Red Ball Jet? And yeah, and he 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 was kind of one of those original guys that ran the scene back in pa- Pasadena with the Van Halen brothers and a few other guys and Mike Stone, right? And and yeah. and Dave, yeah. I mean, you would think during well, this goes back to again what I've what I've posited before, and that is by the time your filthy little mouth came around, there was no sharing of the spotlight after Skyscraper, and after and yeah. sadly after sadly after Jason Becker couldn't tour and stay with Dave. Let's say Terry. Kilgore was in the band earlier than that. He yeah. would have been doing guitar player magazines. Who's the new guy playing with Dave, right? Totally right. Totally right. And and I that makes me think of something. I, I watched a documentary in the last week about Niels Lozauer, who is one of Dave's favorite photographers, if not his favorite photographer, who he steadily used over the years, per se. And it has Steve Vai in the documentary. Michael Anthony, you know, the three degrees of Dave Lee Roth, but Dave is not in it per se. And a lot of the famous magazine cover shots that they show are Vi and Roth on the cover together. Right. Yeah. And I don't really recall him doing that with any other musicians he played with. I can remember getting I can't remember which album cycle it was. Was it Eat Him and Smile or Skyscraper? But I can remember. Do you remember? I remember I had a copy of Faces magazine where it was a whole bunch. It was. Um, it might have been skyscraper where, and I can still remember it, uh, where Dave had like the gaucho bullfighter via Pasadena look going on. Right. Yeah. And, and Vi had like this Western thing going on with a fringy shirt and a cowboy hat. And they were standing back to back to each other. you never saw that with any other guitarist after that. Yeah. You could argue that Brian Young being like the co-host Paul Schaefer-like role on his radio show was as close as that was going to get, per se. Um, Barely. But, yeah. As far as in, in public, I mean, that's the thing. It was, and and th- that's what I was just thinking, too. Wouldn't it have been cool if Dave, I mean, he ta- and before the prior residency, he was talking about, we got three guitar players. He was talking yeah. up the band so much. 
And that had that that hasn't happened since then. Now, granted, as we know and as we and has been documented here on the podcast, there had been a lot of <laughs> changing of the chairs in that band. But as part of the overall publicity, I mean, talk about the guy, these guys. Who are they? And and just just I mean, he's gonna do how he's gonna do things. But it would be cool to just kind of like, I don't know, just add another element by talking about who you're playing with. You're you're talking as if it's not normal for the drum tech to replace the keyboard player. <laughs> the original keyboard player was the musical director of the whole project that put the band together. You're you're sounding like that you're tentative or that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and you're also talking about it like it's weird that two years later you're playing the same exact venue and you have a totally different lineup of the band because there's a different drummer and you've scrapped the second keyboard uh the second guitar player maybe the keyboard player too you're acting like that's weird steve i, I don't know what's why you're so snobby <laughs> man i it's all it's i love a good mystery let's just leave it at that yes and and to date we have uh We've spoken with one mystery member from the original <laughs> residency. I'm working on the second mystery member. His his manager did not say no last week. He didn't say yes, but he didn't say no. That's <laughs> that's that's a good sign. We do have an original Eat Him and Smile band member who's not been on the podcast, and that one's going to come live to us in January. Uh, Brett Tuggle, we still we still have to try our best to get Brett Tuggle. We still have to try Terry Kilgard, who added me as a friend on Facebook, is just not responding to me. Though. Now, am I right? And I remember looking for this about a year ago, but was he sick? Did he have an illness or something for a while? I mean, he I think he had a heart attack or he had something to that effect. But he was back on social media after, you know, the, you know, people go and send your best wishes. So I think okay. he's fine. But then again, don't see any postings. Who Man, there would be an interview that nobody has done. I mean, how did you write these songs with Dave? Where did you write? How did they start out? Did you bring him a riff? Did you guys collaborate? Did you woodshed together? What was it like in the studio? I mean, I could, I mean, what was Dave like with overdubs? Did he tell you how he wanted to hear things? I mean, because it's funny because when you think of it, the most diverse amount of the, as far as the, the diversity, Dave, the most diverse Dave songs, I think, are co-written with with him at, from what we've known so far, what we've heard so far, as the stuff he written with Terry Kilgore. I mean, listen to the songs on Your Filthy Little Mouth. It was just, it was, for, for whatever it's worth, it is the, the, the most diverse sounding Dave record. And that's before we even go down the whole No Big Ting route. Yeah, I think at this point in time, if I got a Terry Kilgore interview over a Sammy Hagar interview, I think I'd be a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> no knock on Sammy, but we've heard every. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of new stuff there, right? If there was a Terry Kilgore interview, I mean, seriously, right up next to, I mean, getting Vi would be great, but he's done so many interviews over 30 years. You, we know about it as much as his involvement as I think we're possibly ever going to know working with Dave, right up to the thing that fell apart two years ago, right? Three years ago. Um, you know, certainly we've got a lot, you and other people have gotten a lot of info from John five 
what it was like. I mean, you know, he didn't do press around. Dave didn't do much press around the DLR ban, Al, and that goes back now a few years because that was 98, right? Uh, so certainly, yeah, John Five, I got, I, I would love to hear more about his work with Dave, but right next to there is Terry Kilgore. Yeah, I think that Todd Jensen is the number two target to get because he played in his band a bunch, but if rumors are correct, he was Dave's tour manager for the Van Halen reunion stuff, meaning he's trusted to handle that situation uh, and keep the show on the road, per se, because let's face it, they were not traveling in the same buses and the same circles. But right. Right. Who knows? Yeah. And Todd was in was he was in Hardline. He was in Dave's band. Did he play with Ozzy? Oh, he's he's played with a lot of people. Yeah, I forgot Hardline. I love that Hardline record, that first one. Oh, my goodness. That's that's a fantastic album. All right. Well, as usual, we always start we start in one place and end up somewhere <laughs> else. We got John Five coming up after this. Anything else? Anything we want to tease about the John Five interview? Because it is a good one. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I did ask him and you have to stay tuned to hear the answer on this one. As to whether or not there were plans for him actually to join the live band or if all along he was going to be the studio guitarist. So he clarifies about that one. And uh, you're going to like that answer. Awesome. Awesome. Good deal. Excellent. I love it. I can't wait to hear what else we got coming up in the weeks ahead. And of course, we keep teasing it here. Darren's big trip to Vegas. (laughs) Five shows. Yeah, uh, yeah. The uh, the if I could just say one thing before you go, I don't know if I said this on the air, but there's a member in Dave's band currently who we may or may not have an interview with in the future. And I said, hey, I'm coming to see you guys in Vegas. He goes, oh, cool. Which show? And I went, <laughs> all of them. And then he said, check, please. <laughs> he gave a thumbs up in response, but. Uh, that's why I don't know if there's going to be a photo of me in the security booth at the Mandalay Bay. <laughs> that's, that's why uh, maybe it's not the best for me to have a, a profile of this nature, but uh, one day at a time, Steve. Yeah, it's it's Yeah. Well, we're, I'm looking forward to the reports. That's for sure. So on that note, <laughs> on that note, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Take care. That looks like Juan Cinco. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Great. Good time for you still? Yes, absolutely. How are you? I am fantastic because I'm speaking to one of the great guitarists of a generation. Are you are you ready for more compliments like that or is that the quota? <laughs> no, great. Thank you so much. That's very kind. The last time I had the pleasure of interviewing you, it was by phone a couple of years ago. And you said something to me that cracked me up so much, which was that you liked to do guitar restringing and guitar related tests while you're doing phone interviews. You're figuring like, hey, it's a good use of my time. But Zoom kind of killed that for you, didn't it? It did. I was, I swear on my life, I swear on my life right now, I was going to get on the treadmill while talking to you and I just couldn't get the phone position correct. So, cause I have so much shit to do, you know, I have so much stuff to do and uh, it just, it just, you know, I don't know.
I just couldn't, I couldn't pull it off. So I apologize for getting in the way of cardio. You can still do cardio. I don't mind as long as your mind is still there. <laughs> yeah, jumpy. I'm talking. Uh oh. Sorry. I got to Hold on. Sorry. My phone, my phone rings and I got to Sorry about that. The man is in demand because Sinner is such a great album, right? Thank That's you. What, I with. what I love about your album is kind of what I love about you as an artist and that you were clearly a very smart human being who likes a lot of dumb culture. So in other words, there's skill behind what you do. There's many, many, many years of practice and hours of practice. You can't deny it. But then you also like a good fart joke. So it's kind of like balancing the highbrow and the lowbrow. Absolutely. I mean, I love such, you know, I think my comedy, like, look at life and look at things you have to laugh and it's so important but i love just the dumbest stuff ever like you know and i'll talk to my friends just about the dumbest like you know memes or like little funny stuff you know i just i i love it so yeah and i think that's it's important everything shouldn't be so serious all the time yeah and I think that really puts you alone in the guitar world. There's very few virtuoso guitarists that had any element of humor in what they did. Like Zappa is the go-to for most of that, but it's really a handful of guitar greats who still had funny song titles per se. Like most people wouldn't even touch the song titles as having humor in them. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, and everything's not so serious and like, Remember like going to concerts and like seeing Van Halen, they were having a great time, you know, but seeing like, you know, some metal artists and they're just so uh, angry and stuff like that, you know, and it's, it's great and stuff, but you're there to have a good time too, you know? For sure. So was Sinner an easy album to make, generally speaking, or a harder album to make? Because obviously you have to hear the stuff in your head before you put it down. It's not just noodling. <laughs> no, it's, and there's no improv or anything on the record. So it is a very difficult, it was a very difficult album to make. And I, I just train myself just to do it as a complete take, no punch-ins or anything. So if I messed up, I'll start from the beginning. Wow. So, yeah, what you hear on the record is uh, it's just discipline. I because I, I had so much time on my hands, so what I did is I just I just was like training almost, like just like just practicing and practicing and practicing before I went into the studio. And if I messed up or if something wasn't right, I'd start right back from the beginning. And it was a really good way to do it. I just wanted to do things as a performance. And it was wonderful because I did some shows and we played like three songs off the new record and it sounded just like the record because it was, you know, the record's pretty much live. So it really, it really was a, a fun, fun way to do things. Now, the record company that you're on, is it pronounced Varvados or Varvados? No one seems to know. <laughs> well, Big Machine, I guess Varvados. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Greek ancestors are pissed that it's called Varvados. It's Varvatos. But uh, yeah. whatever it is, did you know outright that you were recording for Big Machine before you started recording? 
No, I always am recording. And we did um, the LA Rats. We did I've Been Everywhere. And it really, you know, was wonderful. You know, we had a great time making it. And it was for Big Machine. And Scott Bruschetta, the uh, president of the label, did some research on me. And he said, I want to get in the John five business. And I was like, you know, that'd be great. And cause I never wanted to be with a record label because I kind of did everything my own and yeah, it really worked out well, but um, being with Scott, you know, I just couldn't say no, it was incredible. I mean, big machine is massive and yeah, I'm honored to be a part of that family. The first non-country artist I can think of that Big Machine worked with was Cheap Trick. Am I wrong about that? No, you are correct. And uh, I can see you like Cheap Trick. Somebody's got to. <laughs> uh, and, you know, one of my favorite bands, too. And I was so pleased that they were, uh, you know, working with Scott as well. I just absolutely love, love, love Oh my God, do I love like Dream Police album and you know, all that stuff. I used to roller skate around. My dog used to shit in the basement. So I would put on that album and just roller skate in between the shit. And that's how I got so good at roller skating. The almighty Michigan upbringing, where I'm guessing you had to do indoor activities and roller skating would be part of that. Yes, absolutely. And it was, uh, it was, you know, it's funny to say, but it was a wonderful upbringing. It was really nice. I played guitar. I played in all those clubs. I played everywhere I could growing up. And it was, it was really wonderful. It was a great upbringing. I, I had a blast and, uh, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. I was very lucky. When I think about entertainment, I don't, can't, I can't think of a city that had more of an impact on the world than Detroit, but at the same time gets less credit for anything. Because when you say Detroit, they say Motown. But right. people don't really go straight to Grand Funk Railroad, who, despite legacy mismanagement, maybe the biggest rock band of their era. And then Bob Seger, of course. Like There's this whole category of stuff right there. And then you look at comedy and you go, Sinbad is from there. And there's this whole comedy world, Mike Binder, et cetera, that is from there and filmmakers, et cetera. Yet no one really seems to be unified on the same page and going, we're all from Detroit. Yeah. And of course, Alice Cooper, there was why Kid Rock and Sane Clown Posse, et cetera. Yeah. Eminem. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. And it's a hard working place. And, uh, it was a great place to grow up. And, and of course, KISS got their, uh, you know, their big break in, in Detroit as well. Right. When you go back to Detroit, like through town, do you get a hero's welcome or do people just think of you as an L.A. guy at this point in time? Uh, a little bit of both, you know, a little bit of both. I've been living in L.A. since 88, so quite a long time. Right. Uh, what can I say? It's, it's a multifaceted career. You're very hard to define because Detroit guy, LA guy, I don't know. What genre do you play? I don't know. But <laughs> what I do, my favorite kind of guitar that you do play is the chicken picking. And did yeah. that, am I correct that that started with Hee Haw for you? 
Yes, that, that's what inspired me to play guitar, to play Telecasters, um, was Hee Haw. And I loved my dad, you know, listened to Roy Clark and Chet Atkins and Buck Owens. And, and I just really loved that music. And I thought the guitar playing was just so fast and burning. I was like, whoa, this is like crazy. And this was before I discovered Van Halen. And I remember past it was because I loved Jimi Hendrix and I was like whoa this is like pretty insane and that's what inspired me that's what inspired me to play the Telecaster too is uh, just watching all those pickers on Hee Haw. Yes is that also where the influence for the fancy guitars came from did I see the the lava lamp guitar that you did? Yes. I'm assuming that's not far off from Hee Haw influence. No but I do have a Buck Owens telecaster they're red white and blue so yeah that's definitely from hee-haw and i do have a song called hell haw so it's a nice uh, little parody on hee-haw well you've brought up the van halen name twice that's that is my job in interviews to make people who have no business talking about van halen make them talk about van halen kind of stuff that's what i do and you kind of open up the door there so is it okay to ask you a couple of roth questions that are all polite or okay of course so Good name for a for a for a show is, you know, I'm gonna make you talk about Van Halen. I do that all the time. I did that to Jason Aldean. I said, "Hey, uh, pop quiz, who's the best frontman of Van Halen?" I did that to Lincoln Park. Do all that kind of stuff, and usually it leads to good things. Yeah, like you know, like, even if you're at the grocery store, you're buying hot wings, and you're like, "Hot wings." That reminds me of Hot for Teacher. I ever, uh, you know. So just you can always bring up Van Halen. The, the only time I think that really backfired was talking to Steve Brown from Trickster. And he started talking about Hagar and went, wait, wait, what? That's your fit. OK, good for you, Steve. You're a great guy. But uh, so, so you are the reason why people know that there's an unreleased David Lee Roth studio album. And luckily, we have heard three or four of the songs released over the last, you know, nine months or so. Do you get a notice every time one of those songs comes out or do you just find out, oh, cool, publishing? I, I don't get a notice, which is funny. I just find out like I'm blabbermouth or something. But there's a song that I'm, I just can't wait for Dave to release. It's called um, Nothing Could Have Stopped Us. And it's about Van Halen. And it's just the most, it's my favorite song that I've ever done with Dave. And it is beautiful i don't know why he's not releasing that one yet and i just can't wait for people to hear that one because it's about van halen it's just absolutely wonderful i just am really looking forward to him releasing that one are all the tracks from that album you greg bissonette and brett tuggle yes yes so you on guitar and bass both kind of like the dlr band album exactly and and we'll just get in the studio and we'll just knock it out and we had a great time we had a blast a lot of laughs a lot of fun and uh you know i'm just so happy that i had that cool working vibe with dave is that we could just jump into the studio anytime and knock out some songs you know and i'm very lucky because he's you know, not a lot of people get get a chance to do that with Dave. For sure. What I heard with the a Different Kind of Truth album was that the band tracked all the instrumentals and then he in a separate 
uh, studio put the lyrics together and the vocals together. Did he track the vocals for this unreleased album in your presence or around the musicians? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, I mean, we were all in there together. I remember we were just all in there together. And um, that's that's how it was. We were all just doing it together, kind of like, you know, the old days. And he wanted to do it like that. And it really, um, it really was a lot of fun. You know, we had so much fun doing it. And it's one of my fondest memories. When most people talk about loving Roth's solo career, they initially talk about Eat Him and Smile and Skyscraper. And then a lot of people go like, yeah, he lost me at a little ain't enough. In my case, I love the DLR band album. It still sounds great. It's one of the heaviest things he've done, he's done, if not the heaviest next to a different kind of truth. Like the guitars sound fantastic. Most of the songs 100% hold up. It's great. This new stuff you did with him, it's great. So whatever you brought to the table, please take those compliments right there. But what I'm curious about with the DLR band album, it's kind of in that weird era where there was the internet, but not really the internet. Uh, if you didn't have a record company funding your music videos, you probably didn't make music videos. So there's so little info out there about the album, except who played on it, Slam Dunk was a single, and that's it. What, was there ever a plan for you to join his band in the live sense? Oh, absolutely. There was. Um, I remember him saying, come on over, we're going to work out stage moves and I, I'm going to do a kick over your head and all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, that's awesome. And uh, I got a call to join Marilyn Manson yeah. and old Dave, and he was very supportive. He, he, he thought it was great. Um, but with that record, with DLR, um, it was, it's cool because Dave is a very smart guy and he was yes. way, 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 way ahead of his time. He made all of those CDs. So if you have a CD there, he made like they were making those in his back house. So he was, you know, it was what was at records. And I think that's so smart because that's what everyone's doing today. And I just he was just so ahead of his time and so smart. Right. And the more people that I speak to who've played in his band over time is the more I'm hearing that every lineup of his band was basically full of changes and last minute plans. For example, the Vegas residency, there were supposed to be three guitarists and there was two. The drum tech became the keyboard player. Then a different lead guitarist came in. So what I'm getting at was towards the end of your Marilyn Manson run, was there ever a talk of you taking over, coming back in the Brian Young role? Um, no, because I've always been working. Yeah. Always been working, but, and I'm very loyal to whoever I work with, you know, I'm oh, yeah. just, I think it's a very important trait to have in the music business is like, if you are, you know, working, the grass is not always greener and it's, it's really good for artists to know that too, because, you know, a, a gig with who knows the biggest artist in the world could only last, you know, a month or, or two, but who you're with could last a lifetime, you know, and that's, I've always been very loyal 
very, very, very loyal. Unless I get fired or something, then I, I got to go. But other than that, I'll, yeah. I'll stick around. And, and the last question I have related to Diamond Dave before I just compliment Sinner much, much more <laughs> is uh, looking at all the work you did related to him, you know, it was the late 90s, and then you came back again 10, 12 years later. No one knows. Oh, let me ask that. When was this unreleased album made? Because there's been so many things like, like, was it 07? Was it 11, 12? Um, well, there's a, a bunch of different times. So we always, oh. we've always got together and wrote songs. So it's a amalgamation of different years and different times. You just cleared up so much right there. Thank you. That, so the, the last thing I was looking to go to is every time I interview a Roth past or present band member, they were looped in by Bissonette, Tuggle. Like, in other words, there's a recruiting network that it never seems to stop, even if you stop playing with Dave. Did any of that have to do with you? Or is it the old story of you found the contact info in his book, sent it to management, and that was that? That's the true story. I was nobody knew who I was, you know, and I just called out of nowhere, you know, and said, are you guys looking for songs? And it was like pretty much the luck of the draw, you know, I, and I sent those songs in. I, I pretty much sent slam dunk relentless and little Texas in with no vocals. And then, you know, he, he really dug it. And then we just recorded them. Awesome. Well, back to Sinner. Do you already have the next album in mind or is it really one album at a time with you and one touring cycle at a time? Well, what I'm doing, I thought this was interesting. What I'm doing is I like to do a record and then I'm going to do a live record for that record. Like, like let's say we'll use Van Halen as an example. Let's say Fair Warning comes out. Yeah. Then they go on tour and then they put out fair warning live. How great would that be? Like to have women and children first live, fair warning live, diver down live, 1984 live. I mean, I just think it, that would be so cool. So that's just what I'm doing with, with my stuff. So we'll have Sinner live and that'll be the next record. We'll have a DVD with it because everybody watches music nowadays. And I think it's wonderful. I, I love YouTube. I love Instagram. I love all that stuff, you know? So uh, I think it's really cool. So looking at everything that you work on, keeping in mind that that work with Roth was done years ago. So you have this great solo career where you've been very prolific while working with Rob at a high level, while getting LA rats off the ground per se, how do you keep up all that energy? And I say that because so many people burn out, even at the idea of doing one album and a hundred shows in support of it. I'm so, I don't know. I'm just wired with being so hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm so driven. And I'm worried that's going to go away one day. <laughs> you know, I am. I'm, I'm worried. I'm like, yeah. I want to stay home. I'm like, I hope that never happens. I don't think it will. Like, look at Elton John, yeah. look at Rod Stewart, look at the Stones. 
they don't need to go out and tour, you know, they just love it. And it's just how they're wired. And hopefully I'll be like that and uh, always be like that. And I just, I'm still very hungry. Stay hungry, like Twisted Sister said. And the last thing, before I let you go so you can do that cardio, because <laughs> you need to do that cardio. No, you don't. Uh, <laughs> do you have a TV recommendation you could pass on? I know you're a big treating Halloween as the month of programming. So I don't know if you're going to say something on Shudder or you're going to say something so off brand. Please give me a TV recommendation. Let's see. I, I think that's a great question. And the obvious is what I'm giving you is like Squid Game, which is so wonderful. It really is wonderful. Um, another one, which was, which really scared me, actually. I was like, whoa, this is like crazy, is them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I recommend uh, those two. Good picks. You and my wife are watching the same exact stuff. So, John, thank you for your time. Thank you for you for the many years of great music. Looking forward to whatever comes next, whether it's chicken picking, whether it's horror, whatever it is. Thank you for being you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.